and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Martin Studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about harvest safety. If you've got any questions for us, though, or if there's anything that's going on in your farm that you'd like to visit with us about, the number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. Okay, so a couple quick things on harvest safety, and then, uh, Darren, I want to talk a little bit more about our big topic from yesterday, spider mites. But anyway, with harvest safety, let's just put it this way. There is nothing that's more valuable on the farm than you. You are more valuable than your equipment, than your land, than your grain, than anything else. And so I, I don't know what your policies and procedures are on your farm, but I will just tell you this. When Darren and I were growing up on the farm, we, we, we had to work all the time. I mean, we worked tons of hours, even when we were in school, in the summers, everything else. Um, we, had, we had a couple of summer interns here, and they're, they're quitting like three weeks before college starts again. I'm like, what do you, what do you guys do? Why, why are you quitting now? Well, we got to have a break. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, I never had a break when I was growing up. We barely ever took vacations. We worked uh, 24-7. And we didn't want to have debt, so we <laughs> wanted to keep working as much right. as we could. Exactly. So when I, by the time I got out of college, I had zero debt because we worked so much. But anyway, the point here is this. So our dad was a big believer in pushing us to work hard all the time. But he did say, we're not working nights, at least overnight. And um, I, I can't say we're not working Sundays, but we're at least going to church on Sundays and, you know, taking at least a little bit of time during the day on Sunday. But we still had chores on Sunday. But anyway, he just said this because he goes, look, a lot of far- on a lot of farms, they go 24-7 and, I mean, they're pushing right through harvest or pushing right through planting. And he said, that's fine. They can do whatever they choose to do. But he said, in my experience, what I've found is if I push it really late or overnight one night, I'm shot for the next three days. And the other big problem, he said, is when you get tired, that's usually when all the safety and precautions and all those things you normally do, it to some degree goes out the window because you're not fully there mentally. So he just always pushed us to say, look, guys, we're, we're calling it a night. We're done at nine or 10 o'clock. Um, so you can get a decent night's sleep. And I know that may have cost us some, but in the long run, it paid off because we didn't have any major accidents. We're all still here today. And so we just had always been stressed on this whole safety thing growing. And quite frankly, even driving tractors and stuff like that. I mean, yeah, we got to drive some little stuff, skid steer loader and that stuff at a young age. But the big stuff, he wouldn't let us run in part because he was so worried about safety. Now, I'll be honest, he was also really worried about his equipment and his $100,000 equipment or whatever it was at the time. He didn't want that wrecked. <laughs> so so we didn't get the privilege of driving that till we had stepped it up, you know, and gotten a lot older. But anyway, safety was always a big deal for us, and hopefully it's a big deal for you. We're going to talk about it more on today's show. All right, so yesterday we were talking about spider mites, and since then I have talked to a bunch more farmers and agronomists about spider mites. 
we've just got a rampant issue right now in our region of the United States. We farm in Southeast South Dakota, but I've been talking to farmers and agronomists through, from all throughout our region, probably a three, 400 mile radius of here. And just about everybody has said, yeah, it's bad, but that's everybody that's looking. And the reason why I wanted to bring this up again today is if you haven't been checking your fields, I'd really, really encourage you to do so. And I know there comes a point in the year where you say, yep, I'm done. I mean, our crop's made. It's it's all over with. But it's not. And we've seen some fields get really bad with spider mites in short order. And now they look terrible. And it hurt yield a lot. So I, I was talking to one agronomist this morning, and he goes, yeah, even if the guy has to call a plane in because he can't get through his beans with his uh, his sprayer anymore— he said, so what? It's the, the cost of the plane and the miticide is one bushel of beans. One bushel. So if you've got any problem, um, it just doesn't take much, and you could easily justify that treatment. But I'm, I, I just really wanted to bring this up because even yesterday I got to drive around a bunch after the radio show, and I started looking a little closer at soybean fields. Uh, you know, ours and our neighbors and everybody else's. Now, granted, all of ours got sprayed now for mites, but I'm like, ooh, I don't know if these guys realize how bad the mites are out in the field because you're not going to see them with the naked eye. What you're typically going to see if you are driving 60 miles an hour down the road is there are some leaves that look like, is that dust on the leaves? It's a little light speckling. It looks a little different color. And then there are, get to be hot spots out in fields. But when you go out there, and, and one of the best ways to, to actually figure out that you have spider mites is take a white piece of paper, put that on the ground, and shake the leaves over the top of it, and you can see these little speckles uh, dropping down on that white piece of paper, spider mites. So yesterday we talked about quite a bit about bifenthrin. We really, really like that. It lasts long. Now, as I say long, I'd expect a couple weeks. Okay, so it's not going to last three weeks or four or five weeks like some of these people are talking about. But a couple of weeks, yeah, it's probably going to be fine. But, you know, there's also, and there's also Lorsban, there's Dimethoate, there's Abamectin. I mean, there are some products that are fairly reasonable in price. We're talking, let's call it five, six, seven bucks an acre, something like that. However, there are true miticides. So if you have resistance issues, if you've got an enormous outbreak or something like that, you can always go with products like Zeal, Oberon, Onager, um, depending on the crop, and uh, Comite. I, I mean, there are a bunch of good miticides that are out there. And so a lot of the people that have mites on a regular basis, what they do is they rotate chemical families, so they're not using the same thing all the time. But anyway, I just wanted to, to throw that out there again. I want to encourage you, scout your fields. It's definitely not too late. Like on soybeans, we still have a lot of yield potential that can be gained or lost. All depends on if we take care of those beans for the next few weeks here before they start to senesce. Once they've started to senesce, at that point, all you're really worried about is pod clipping maybe from an insect. But there's not much you can do once you get really late. Okay, we're going to talk a little about harvest safety coming up right after this. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. 
Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people. And we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio, and our topic is harvest safety. Yes, harvest is going on different crops, different places. It's interesting to see how some of this crop is turning out, some better than expected, others eh, not so good. But you know what? Uh, it's kind of nice when you have one of those not-so-good crops to get it off to and forget about it, move on, and start with the next thing, start with the next process. And you know, we get a lot of questions around this time of year, too, about, all right, so I got wheat off, I've got tough weeds coming. Brian, there's a lot of trouble that growers had in some of the hot weather we had through June, getting spray to work, and now it's heating up in some parts of the country again. What are some of the things that you saw that that were struggles when we got hot early and weren't getting product to, to actually do the job it was supposed to do? Okay, so I was just talking to a group of agronomists this morning about volunteer corn, because that was probably the biggest thing we saw, volunteer corn in soybeans. And guys were complaining about, well, fusillade didn't work like it normally does and stuff like this. And I'm going, wait a second. It worked just fine when you sprayed the plants when they were small and when you didn't have major antagonism problems with either 2,4-D or dicamba. So I said, you know, there's nothing wrong with the product Fusilade. Fusilade's a fine product. But here was one of the things that I didn't really think much about because one of the agronomists goes, well, I, I did have some where we sprayed Fusilade and it didn't look like it even phased the volunteer corn. And he said, I'm concerned because in that area, there are there is some enlist corn. And I said, oh, well, that's a whole different deal. What can happen is, so this enlist corn, by the way, it is tolerant to the FOP family of uh, grass herbicides. So that would include a Sure 2 and Fusilate. So technically, a Sure 2 is the one that's going to be labeled or is labeled to spray over that and not kill the corn. But it also has tolerance. So maybe not full all out resistance to Fusilate, but it's absolutely got 
tolerance and major tolerance. So yes, if there is enlist corn in your area and you are worried that it cross-pollinated with your volunteer or your corn last year. So now the volunteer corn is resistant or tolerant to the, that FOP family. Then you're kind of stuck. Now you're left with clethodim. Now you could go with cethoxidim, uh, so that would be post if you wanted to. But there aren't many people that are able to find post herbicide anymore. That was the old one from BSF, post and post plus. So it's basically clethodim. If you want to look at the generic, uh, that's fine. Otherwise, there's the name brand, Select Max. But I would just tell you, Clethodim is the way to go if you've got that uh, kind of corn or that kind of volunteer corn. All right. What about, you know, when you think about the heat and small droplets, so, so often we're talking about small droplets here trying to get really good coverage we're using. Higher volumes of spray, a lot of times 15 or 20 gallons, and we've got big weeds and we've got a canopy. We've got to get through those types of things, and we're using more pressure. But but here's one of the things on the droplet size that, that we noticed this year. When it got really dry and humidity was low, that very fine droplets, the, the fines that we see sometimes out of like a flat fan, weren't really making it to target where something like a, a ULD nozzle, or even a 3D nozzle that has reduced the, the fines yet still has a, a medium-sized droplet did a little bit better in those situations. And, you know, you think about that. Well, that's one thing in June. And I've already talked to folks who said, well, I'm going to learn from my lessons I made in June and I'm not going to make those mistakes now in August. Well, hold on. Because here comes the humidity again. And I know in our part of the world, the humidity was gone for a while. Then it was back and it was really heavy. And now it's back again. So we get quite a bit of humidity again. We aren't working with the 20% or 30% humidity. It's 50 or 60%. Yeah, but it's too late. It's too, it's too late. So the, my, I'm my point about, is... I'm talking about burn down type things. Yeah, but my, my point is this. If you've had weeds that have been affected by low humidity, then they build up that wax and there's no full recovery from that. So even if you do get humidity later, then they've still got a thick wax on their st on their leaves. And that's the whole problem. If you're going to get weed control on a weed that has a thick wax on it, the only way to do that is you got to burn through that wax. Typically, we're talking about adding crop oil or methylated seed oil to the solution. So you just have to look at different spray adjuvants when you have problems like that. Well, they're, they're bound to be out there. And the other thing that we've got, Brian, sometimes I'll talk to growers and they'll say, well, I've got six inch tall weeds right now. Yes, because you cut the top foot and a half off them. It's a lot different when you've got a big weed that has a huge root system underneath it trying to burn it down versus, and there are some weeds out there that are legit two inches, four inches, six inches that are brand new ones that got started late in the season. Little different story. So you do have to kind of look around a little bit if you got a weed that you've cut off that was huge. Uh, that's that's going to be a little more difficult to get under control. All right, so let's come back to our topic today, harvest safety. Uh, here is one of the things that I didn't really realize when I started driving a tractor down the road years and years ago. So if you see a lot of equipment running down the road today, what ends up happening is people are... The, the, the people driving the tractors, you and me, we start thinking, you know, I'm going to be kind to whoever's behind me and I'm going to get over on the shoulder. And so I'm going to drive on the shoulder. But 
the first time I did that and my dad saw that, he's like, whoa, 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 you can't drive in the shoulder. I go, what do you mean? I'm trying to get out of the way for these cars. And he goes, as soon as you drive over to the shoulder, now you're liable for problems. He said, you want to drive down the road. You have the right to drive on the road. So, I mean, so we'll talk about slow-moving vehicles and all that kind of thing here in a little bit, I'm sure. But he said, make sure you are on the road, and that's what you're supposed to do, driving a piece of equipment down the highway. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And if you're driving on the shoulder, we'd encourage you not to. Um, you got to drive in the road, and then you are okay legally if there ever was any kind of problem. The other thing is then you don't have to swerve out to try to miss a, a mailbox or anything like that, and that could cause a challenge. You know, I just was following some equipment down the road and not running very fast and had the exact same thing happen, Brian. He was running on the shoulder, and I was like, okay, I see mailboxes coming up ahead. Sure enough, they had to move a few feet out onto the road, and I had to get in the other lane and get around them. So that was that was interesting, and unfortunately, I was paying attention. Uh, speaking about paying attention, we've got Noel Miller with us right now. Uh, he's with Sanford, which is a, a major health provider here in the upper Midwest, and now spreading across the country, too. Noel, thanks for joining us. Hello. How are you guys? Good, good. Should I say Noel? Is that the right way? Yep, just like the Christmas song. There we go. Okay, Noel. So when I think about harvest time, one of the things I see is a lot of farmers that get injured and they're they're doing things that they aren't normally doing every day. What do you see? What kind of things do you deal with around harvest time? Well, of course, our most common injuries we're going to see are going to be falls, whether they're from a machinery or um, just falling in general. And then a lot of the other kind of individual injuries that we are seeing would be some sort of contact with that machinery, whether it would be, you know, cleaning or repairing or adjusting that machinery, um, which then leads to having cut, scrapes, lacerations, which then could also lead to having, you know, mangled extremities, bleeding. Um, Some other things that we see definitely during this time are related to machinery is going to be rollovers, you know, not having the proper brakes on or having it the machine turned off and then going back and then turning it on and it's already in gear. Um, right, yep. Definitely as far as those are injuries, you know, we in the, the healthcare field, we look at most common types of injuries and the most common types of fatalities. Again, falls goes under that um, category with fatalities. Um, and then we can add, you know, suffocation. And then also if you have those mangled extremities that you are going to have major hemorrhaging, then we add bleeding to that category. Yeah. And so many guys try and tough out things that they think are minor instead of just taking the time right now. Let's go in. Let's let's get taken care of so it doesn't become a bigger problem down the road. Uh, great, great thoughts there, Noel. Great observations. Really appreciate having you on today. And as as our listeners head into harvest, thinking about those falls, we'll get into that just a little bit more right after this break. But that's going to be a big thing to avoid. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. 
New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds. Even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Fill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI-listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash howler to learn more. talking harvest safety on today's Ag PhD radio program. Oftentimes when we talk safety, we, we lean on Dee Jespin with Ohio State University. Dee, how are you doing today? Good afternoon. We're doing great. It's sun is out and uh, maybe that's meaning it's a little more dry out there too. <laughs> well, that's true. But you know what? When it's not muddy and when it is sunny, we have less farm accidents. So that's a plus. That is true. That is true. You know, now one of the things, though, when it does get hot and dry, I guess that, that we do worry about is fires. And I, I know that, that you've looked into to combine fires a lot. We've talked about that a little bit in the past. Is that a big concern for this year? Uh, this year is definitely a concern when we especially look at the dry conditions um, all around the United States. Um, one of the things that I know I was really proud of having was a, a student capstone team this past year that really dived into some of the problems and the concerns. And when we looked at the top states that were reporting combine fires, 
those that, that stood out were Minnesota was number one, um, Iowa, Illinois, Ohio, Kansas, Nebraska, and South Dakota. So those were the areas that in the last you know, 20-year period have reported the, num- the most number of combine fires. All right. So what are the conditions that, that you've noticed that are in common with a lot of these fires? Because I'm assuming, uh, well, like last year, I know in South Dakota, there, there were a number of farmers, including our own, that for the first time ever had had a few issues out there. Now, fortunately, we didn't have any big issues, but uh, the potential was definitely there when we were really dry. Is uh, the dry weather and the drought, I'm sure, is a, a concern. What are some of the other factors we should be watching out for? Well, number one by far is equipment maintenance, and we know that those preventative schedules are important and getting our farm uh, labor force to understand um, how to prevent, you know, just blowing off the chaff by the end of the day. Uh, Most of those fires are happening in the engine compartment, Um, as you mentioned, also being in the field of dry debris and parking next to fields and in fields, that could also cause it. But when we look at the equipment itself, uh, the fires are happening there. Um, chaff, of course, is a big concern. Um, proper greasing, uh, knowing when those bearings are going to go out, electrical issues, all of that can contribute. And also one that you know you and I probably didn't even think of until we started asking farmers, we park those combines even overnight and wildlife can get into them, whether you know they start building their nests or, or bringing in them. <laughs> Couldn't even believe the number of folks reporting that as a cause of fires. Um, just being able to open those units up if they've been parked over a weekend in a barn to oh. see um, what may have been brought into them—it's yep. just unsuspecting. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. There, there are so many things I know for for us growing up, the maintenance thing just got pounded into our heads by our dad. That uh, even when he'd come back kind of late with the combine, hey, blow it down. Let's get it cleaned up. Let's make sure we're safe. The other thing is is just. Uh, cleaning windows and those types of things, making sure visibility is great. And uh, I know there's just so many things that go into it, but yet it's such a busy time. So I, I understand sometimes why why farmers will fall short in this, but, but man, it is so important. Yeah, we'll put that into housekeeping um, and prevention. Uh, those types of, um, that goes a long way, I guess, towards prevention. And then when you do have a fire, you, you kind of have to have a plan, right? Uh, if you've never thought about it, um, you need to help train your employees of what to do. And by employees, I also mean our own family members. Um, if they've never even thought about a fire, what to look out for, and then, you know, how to prevent any injuries. Of course, saving yourselves before you save the equipment is always the priority. And, uh, I've mentioned before on this show, even having the the fire extinguishers, and and we've talked about having water trucks on standby in extreme um, condition. But we know that some of those will only fight the incipient fires, you know, right at the beginning, and so they're not really. Uh, they might be designed to help get it a quick spark out. Right, um, but right. when when it's a large fire, then we just need to get out of the way and know how to call nine one one and. Even having another phone number to your local uh, first responders, I know in my area, I would get routed three different places if I dialed 911. So I just called the local person directly or the local unit directly. 
and having that phone number in our in our cell phones when we're out there working in dry conditions. Absolutely. I know a lot a lot of farmers last year had reached out to us and said, man, we're just keeping a water truck in, in every field. So we know at least we've got something there. You're right. Hopefully you can catch things before they get out of hand because they get out of hand in a hurry. There's no doubt about that. Now we're talking with Dee Jepson at Ohio State University. Dee, great stuff as always. Thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Thank you, everyone. Be safe and happy harvesting this year. You bet. Thank you. Uh, we've got Terry Ebright down with us right now with Sioux Valley Energy. And Terry, I can guess uh, where the conversation's going to head when we talk safety with Sioux Valley Energy. How are you doing, Terry? Uh, we're doing good today. Uh, if you got any background noise, I apologize. I'm out at Sturgis, so... Oh, awesome. Awesome. Okay. So harvest safety, we've got a lot of things going on, a lot of big equipment and augers and, oh my goodness, there's, there's a lot of things to talk about here. Yeah, we've, uh, we're, we're, we're running into between five and seven days a week being, being hit by contractors right now, primarily a lot of construction going on, but, uh, spring and the fall of the year, we, we end up having a lot of that stuff happening with the, with the ag equipment, the farm equipment and just, uh, you know, if you buy a new piece of equipment, that, that's a big deal. You know, just make sure you understand what your heights and clearances are. You're, you're going to be going in and out of approaches you've been using for the last 20, 30 years. And it's real easy just to forget that that line is there and take that new piece of equipment through there and end up getting into trouble. You know, that's a great point. When you pick up, some, you just get used to how you've always done things, but then you get that new piece of equipment. And I know sometimes it's the, the farm shop door that, oh, we're, we're one inch too short here. We thought we had it just right. And boy, if you're one inch off uh, when you're around power lines, that's that's a uh, big trouble. Yeah, you know, it's, it's extremely dangerous. Electri- electricity itself and our system is very safe. But if it's ever knocked down whether it be to wind storms that type of thing or tore down by a piece of farm equipment it can become very dangerous very quickly and, and even deadly and that's what we're, we're really pushing this summer to try to get some of those accident numbers down so we have less incidents involving equipment and just to keep people safe yeah i agree now terry I, i've heard of farmers who have gotten gotten caught where uh, all of a sudden their equipment is a conduit for the electricity and they say not to jump from the equipment what what do you do when you get in that situation well if if there's no fire situation just stay stay on or in the equipment and call 911 and the local 911 dispatchers will get a hold of us at Sioux Valley and we'll send our folks out to make sure that the line is de-energized and and grounded and then it'll be safe for them to exit in case of a fire or some situation where they have to get out of that vehicle or off from that piece of equipment, they need to jump clear of the equipment, never touching it in the ground at the same time. Once you touch the ground and the equipment, you become that path for the electricity to flow to ground. And so you want to jump off, keep your feet together, and either hop away or, or shuffle your feet away from the equipment for about 30 to 40 feet. The, the electricity will radiate out into the ground, and if you pick your foot up and put it back down, take a normal step. It's called step potential, and the electricity will actually come back up out of the ground through your body and back down out of your other leg. 
Wow. Yeah, it's it's a, a scary thing. I've talked to a number of farmers who have been in those situations and and fortunately walked away from it. But you, you're right, the the potential there to panic and and you know back to what D. Jepson had said, you just have to have a plan for what what could possibly go wrong and and know what you're supposed to do. Oh, absolutely. I I think that we should all all of our farmers should stop for a minute before they start harvest and discuss it with their family members, their hired hired men, whoever it is that they're going to have out in those fields working for them, and just make sure that they understand a few simple basic things and look out for these power lines. You know, make, make that a part of that meeting and point it out that, you know, hey, they're around our fields, they're buried underground, we've got pad-mounted boxes that have the same amount of voltage in them, so we need to watch out for all of these things and, and just be completely safe. Absolutely. Speaking with Terry Ebright here with Sioux Valley Energy. Terry, thank you so much. Really appreciate you joining us today. Stay tuned. We'll talk more harvest safety right after this. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Weed control without the BS. That's more time to apply without wasting time. That's flexible tank mixing that doesn't bend the truth. That's near zero volatility with unmovable principles. With the Enlist weed control system, there is no sacrificing. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. Do you need to replant soybeans due to cold temperatures, heavy rains, or another weather event? Weeds don't seem to care, and you have limited options for last-minute weed control. This is when you turn to Spitfire Herbicide from New Farm. Unlike other Phenoxy herbicides, Spitfire can be applied up to seven days before planting. 
fields treated with the dual active power of Spitfire will benefit from weed control that will ease planting and help your beans establish a good stand. Spitfire from New Farm, here to help. Talking harvest safety on today's Ag PhD radio program and broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're also taking your calls and agronomic questions. If you get a safety tip for us or you want to talk about what's happening on your farm or in your fields, 844-44-AG-PHD is the number. And you can always email us radio at agphd.com. Got Dan Neenan with us right now with the National Education Center for Agricultural Safety. Dan, thanks for joining us. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. You know, safety is absolutely the number one job. And I know sometimes we get super busy and we think, no, harvest is number one, but safety is number one. We all want to be in one piece at the end of this thing and, and in good shape. So what are some of the things, Dan, that as harvest gets going in many parts of the country or is rolling in others that we need to keep in mind? I think the first thing to do is take a look at the machinery that's going to be on the roadway and make sure that the lighting and the marking are working and that you're visible. Um, everybody seems to be in a hurry and, you know, we want to be as visible as we possibly can, um, you know, to slow folks down behind us um, so they don't make a mistake and run into the back of us. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of the new equipment now has got a lot of safety features on and great lighting and all that. But if something's not working and we don't catch it, that's a bad situation when we're counting on that to help us out. So you're, you're absolutely right on that. I also see uh, a lot of things heading down the road that, that uh, you know, we, we're maybe too long or too wide or, or those types of things. Do you have some tips for us? We've got big equipment that we're trying to move that, that would help us be a little more safe. Well, of course, if you could have a spotter vehicle behind you with its emergency lights flashing, that will help people coming up from behind know that you're there. Um, then you can see folks coming at you and, you know, depending on the roadway that you're at, hopefully be able to move and accommodate them as they're coming down the roadway. That's a great tip. We had uh, Noelle Miller with us, and she was talking about falls, that falls are the most common injuries they're seeing at local hospitals during harvest time. People fall off equipment or, or fall off a grain bin or things like that. Uh, do you see falls as being the number one concern? And if so, what are some tips around that to, to help keep us safe? Well, falls are definitely a concern. And I mean, I think the thing to take a look at is when you're either mounting or dismounting equipment, they always use the three points of contact. Um, you know, so turn around, face the piece of equipment. So you either have two feet and one hand on the piece of equipment or two hands and one foot as you're making steps down. Uh, you never want to come down off that equipment forward. Um, you know, when you're younger and you jump like that, your body bounces back. Uh, but the older that you get, um, you know, you, you twist that knee or you twist that ankle and you're going to be paying for that for a few days. Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, another question we get, Dan, around harvest time is grain bins. And I know there's a, a lot of farmers that we talk to put quite a bit of effort into cleaning out the bins, making sure everything's working in the bins and so forth. But we still hear a lot of issues around grain bins, oftentimes fatalities too, which is really sad. What are some of the things, are there some of the corners that we're cutting or are there some safety tips that we're missing that, that these things are still happening? 
I think the thing to remember is a grain bin is considered a confined space. And even though, you know, most of the family farmers are exempt from OSHA rules, maybe we call them best practices. So the first would be locking out and tagging out the power source to the auger so it can't be turned on when you're inside. Because remember, if that auger gets turned on, it will pull you to your waist in 15 seconds and completely submerge you within 30 seconds. So that's going to go pretty quick. Second of all, we need to do air quality sampling to make sure we've got at least 19.5% oxygen in that bin. Everybody going in needs to be tied off wearing a harness. And then the rule that's broken the most, and this is especially true in agriculture, is entering into a confined space is a minimum of a two-person job. The person entering the bin, and then there has to be a reliable attendant up top watching what's going on. And if that person becomes unresponsive or becomes trapped, that attendant's job is not to go, not to go inside after them, but to call for emergency services. Yeah, to have that game plan up front so you understand and don't panic in those situations, that's really important. And I think having that safety meeting, to me, is one of the things when I talk with farmers, too. Did you have a safety meeting before harvest? No, we all know what we're doing. Uh, we've done it for a long time. Uh, I don't think that cuts it. I, I think you got to talk through these issues of what happens so you don't panic. Absolutely. All right, Dan, what what are some things that the, the National Education Center for Ag Safety is working on, and are, are there some new initiatives coming out this year? Well, right now what we're currently working on is, is finishing up Grain Bin Safety Week. So uh, I'm actually out in Delaware today delivering a, a grain rescue tube and training a fire department um, to work with that. Um, we just actually heard of our 25th and 26th fire department that we've trained, one in South Dakota and one in Kansas, uh, that rescued somebody out of a bend last week. So we're always excited to hear about that. Uh, of course, if we can get that zero entry mentality of not getting into the bend, um, you know, then folks can't get trapped in the first place. You know, what we're taking a look at for Farm Safety and Health Week this year is, you know, of course, a lot of folks take medication. And some of that medication is food dependent um, so taking breaks during the harvest season and making sure that if you're taking your medicine, you're also eating, um, because otherwise, you know, the, the medicine, especially, you know, like being a diabetic could, uh, have issues, uh, with a low blood sugar to be able to do that. Um, the other thing to take a look at is a lot of farmers are renting property or buying farms that are not with the home farm. So kind of what we're doing is a little campaign for them to write down the address of those farms. And if they have a 911 number, to put that in. Make copies and put it in every vehicle that would go farm to farm. So if there is that emergency, instead of saying I'm at the old Joe Smith farm, well, that might not work anymore. Uh, you know, when we had the small town 911 centers, that would work. So having that 911 number or the physical address of each property um, can cut down time of what it would take to get a first responder to your farm if there was an emergency. That's fantastic. Uh, those are great tips, uh, Dan. We really appreciate hearing those. And I, I, I like your talk about the rescue tubes and training fire departments up, too. I think we get so many farmers that will ask us as we travel around, what are some good ways that we could give back? And uh, I think helping out your local fire departments, and if they aren't set up to 
to do a grain bin rescue, uh, sponsoring that. What what a gift you give back to the community that, who knows, someday may save your own life. So great, great stuff there, Dan. Where can we find more details about that if farmers are inspired by this and say, you know, our local community needs to do that too? Well, two things. Uh, they can go to grainbensafetyweek.com, um, and they can find out about the contest that we run every year that they can nominate their fire department. Um, they can also donate to that cause, or they can go to our website, which is kneecastag.org, and you can find some safety information and some webinars about different topics. Very good. Dan Neenan with the National Education Center for Agricultural Safety. We, we really appreciate having you on today, and best of luck as you head through Grain Safety Week. All righty. Thank you. Yeah, Brian, a lot of good tips there. I, th- I thought about, you know, one thing he mentioned, just writing down the physical address of, of each of these fields that you're going to. Uh, that's, that's a smart thing for, for many reasons. Yep. I, I mean, there are, there are a lot of procedures that could be put in place on many farms, but it's very common because we used to have a small operation too, not farming lots of acres or anything. And it was Darren and me, our dad, and, you know, maybe one or two other guys that worked for us on the farm. When you've got a small operation, it's easy to think, ah, we're fine. I'll just tell everybody. I'll just uh, make sure that I do things this way or that way. I'll make sure that we, we get this done. You can't always assume those things because sometimes people do get forgotten about. Uh, sometimes people go off and do things that they shouldn't necessarily do. So, I, I mean, over the years as we started doing just more training and more talking about these things, and, I mean, we were pretty lucky because our dad liked to talk. I mean, he liked to yell just as much as he liked to talk. <laughs> but, anyway, I, I mean, he did communicate with us fairly well, but that's not always the case. And so, yeah, it's, it's a good idea to have a plan, to write things down, to let people know what's going on. All right, we're going to get to your questions in the Ag PhD Mailbag coming up right after this. In an uncertain market, you need to maximize the quality and profitability of your stored grains by controlling profit-robbing insects. A tank mix of Daikon IGR and Sentinel EC insecticide, or Daikon IGR Plus, offers the long-term control of an insect growth regulator and the knockdown power of a broad-spectrum insecticide. Keep your grain clean with grain protectants from Central Life Sciences. To learn more, contact your local dealer or visit bugfreegrains.com. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The Enzone from FarmShop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more. 
Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today. I've been talking about harvest safety. And I, I, I want to leave you with one last thing here. If you are a non-farmer, I realize that it stinks when you're driving down the road 55 miles an hour or 65 miles an hour, whatever the speed limit is on the road you're driving on, and you come upon a slow-moving vehicle. And you're like, I'm in a hurry. I got to get going. I get that, but we got to try to be safe on the roads. And here's what the actual rule is. When you see a slow-moving vehicle sign, and I didn't know this when I was a kid, but when you see a slow-moving vehicle sign, you can't just whip around that thing going 65 miles an hour. You're supposed to slow down to the speed of the slow-moving vehicle. So let's say it's going 15 miles an hour. You're supposed to slow down to 15, then proceed around if it's safe. If you are in a passing zone, not a no-passing zone. And for the farmer on the flip side, so I've been that farmer driving down the road with farm equipment many times. I, I mean, I don't want to hold you up, but by the same token, I got to follow the laws. I'm not supposed to get over on the shoulder uh, and be driving on the shoulder. So I got to drive in my lane on the road. And as soon as we get to that next passing zone, you know, you can you can swing around me or whatever farmer that there is. But I just really encourage you just I, I know it's hard uh, it, it stinks to have to slow down sometimes for some of these slow-moving vehicles like we have to drive a, as farmers, but please help us. We're, we're trying to be safe. We want you to be safe. We want everybody to get home every night. Uh, there have been far too many accidents where uh, people just flat out aren't paying attention. One of, our, uh, one of our operators, still works for us on the farm today, got hit many years ago. He was driving a four-wheel drive um, vehicle down the road with, I don't remember what he was pulling, a field cultivator or disc or something. And he was just about to turn in to a driveway, had his blinker on, everything, but the car came up behind. And again, slow-moving vehicle, you're required to slow down to the speed of that slow-moving vehicle because it's got a slow-moving vehicle sign right on it, that, uh, that triangle, uh, the red and orange triangle that's on there. So 
Anyway, this car, they est- the police estimated it was going, I don't remember, 75 miles an hour in a 55, something like that, because you could see the skid marks where it had tried to brake for a long ways. <laughs> and anyway, it, it, the, but the whole thing is they weren't paying attention, and our guy was turning legally. Everything was just fine. The, our, our person did nothing wrong. But because this, this car was going so fast and not paying attention, didn't slow down like it should have, um, it hit our our equipment. Now, fortunately, everybody was okay, but I mean, then who knows? The next time, maybe everybody isn't okay. So I can I can tell you plenty more stories where we've been either personally involved or uh, it was neighbors of ours who've been in farm accidents. We can talk all day long, in fact, about harvest accidents. We don't want to do that. We want to focus on let's we're moving forward now. Let's try to be as safe as we can. So for all of us as farmers, yeah, we're talking a lot about harvest safety, but also it's just flat out road safety. So uh, it, this is another thing that I will occasionally bring up to people. You know, there are a lot of just a lot of people in our society today who believe that we should ban GMOs, okay, ban biotechnology. Well, biotechnology and GMOs have never killed anyone in the history of the world. In the United States, each year we have over 30,000, almost 40,000 people die in car accidents. Just think about that. I mean, how many people that is? In a 10-year period, you're, you're talking about almost half a million people die from car accidents. And a lot of those are preventable. A lot of those are. So we just certainly hope that none of those things are happening here this fall during the harvest season. But I just, again, encourage you, please be safe when you're out on the roads. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, Brian, uh, one of the more popular questions, comments of the summer has been on this topic of dicamba drift. This one comes from AG. He said, uh, I'm not sure I believe you that, that it isn't going to hurt yields with the leaf cupping. We've had it now for three years. Here's the other thing that we aren't talking about. Are we building resistance with all the plants out there that are getting a sniff of dicamba every day for a long period of the summer? Is that going to be a problem? It just seems to be a problem in our area. Okay, let's first talk about this resistance thing. Look, dicamba, when it first came out, our dad talked about this from almost 50 years ago now, 45, 50, whatever it's been. Um, He was using dicamba at a quarter of a pint, so Banville, at a quarter of a pint. And he said when he first used it, it killed every broadleaf wheat, it killed every grass. (laughs) Just imagine if he could go out there today with $2 worth of dicamba, and it killed everything, every weed you had on the farm. (laughs) That'd be amazing. So, yes, we know that tolerance, it's actually been building for many years. So that is not anything new. Uh, Are we concerned about that? Of course we are. But there's that same kind of issue going on with literally every herbicide that we use today. I understand where you're going with that. I would just say when you talk about a whiff of or a sniff of um, dicamba it's really 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 low what most of these plants are getting otherwise the beans would die i mean it does not take much dicamba to kill soybeans so if they're living and they're fine i I mean yes they cupped for a little while you'll see the damage out there for i shouldn't even say damage you'll see the leaf cupping for a while and then it comes out of it uh 
how much is that leading to weed resistance? It's probably not much, but yes, that 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 probably is a minor minor factor. Now, as far as the the yield thing, please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying in all cases that yield is not going to be hurt from dicamba. But from dicamba drift, that's typically where we see the yield loss. From dicamba volatility, where it picks up and moves later, it's light cupping, and usually we don't even see the cupping for two to three weeks after the volatility occurred. That's when it's very rare when we see big yield loss. We might see very slight yield loss. We also might see slight yield gain. But I'm just saying it doesn't really amount to much either way. It's very emotional. And so I'm not trying to make excuses for the manufacturers of dicamba or the farmers who sprayed it or anything else because I I understand. We got all, I think we raised 1,100 acres of soybeans this year. We had mostly corn this year. but, But anyway, all of our soybeans this year were enlist. All of our soybeans this year got cupped. So I understand the emotion as well. Did I like seeing that when I'm out there driving around checking our fields? No. But we also have to kind of put things in perspective and say, it's happened before. It's minor cupping. Not too worried about it. If a neighbor physically drifted onto some of mine that's bordering his corn or bordering his extend beans, then yes, we'll have yield loss there. And that's a discussion we have to have with the neighbor. But in most cases, it's pretty light. Now, I hate seeing it. It's terrible because it gives all of us as farmers a bad name. So that's why I say I'm not trying to make any excuses. Personally, I just assume we didn't have dicamba at all because then we don't have to worry about that. But the flip side of that is we'd lose a really nice tool for weed control. And I, I, I don't know how for, for most, I'll put it this way, for a lot of agronomy questions that are out there, I have an answer for you and I have a good answer. For this one, I do not have a good answer because we've tried everything under the sun to stop the dicamba volatility. My best answer for you, though, is this. If you want to continue to spray dicamba, I would absolutely look at the direction the wind's going to be. It's got to be away from a sensitive crop for two consecutive days after you spray. And I'm not kidding here. 48 hours after you spray, if the wind keeps blowing away, you're in pretty good shape. That The, the neighbor... Uh, that may be right next to you, as long as that wind's blowing away from you for 48 hours straight after you spray, during and after you spray, 48 hours, then your odds of having volatility issues are really, really slim because volatility typically is going to occur within 48 hours after the application. All right. And another one come in, just a, more of a comment than anything. We were talking about building organic matter. And, and as person said, back in the 1800s, uh, grasslands here in Australia, before all the monocropping scored as much as 37% organic matter, each 1% increase in organic matter now will allow your land to absorb an additional 25,000 gallons of water per acre. Yeah, no doubt that more organic matter whoa, can whoa, help whoa, you hold 37 percent. Thirty-seven percent in soil. I, I no way. No, 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 no. I, I mean, don't there, believe that. Other than there's there are some peat, peat right? There, there's there are peat soils and muck soils, but those are not real great farmable grounds anyway. A lot of times, but no, around here it was five percent. You know, maybe six or seven possibly, but a lot of five percent organic matters. And tillage was the destroyer of a lot of that. So not that you can't do tillage, you just have to do it carefully and uh, and cautiously. Well, thanks for listening to today's program about harvest safety. Please put some of these things into practice on your farm this year. 
Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.